Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's good to be in the house of God, amen? And even outside the house of God, it's good to be there, right? So, right? Amen, amen. I know the Lord has a blessing for each and every one of us this morning, right? By the way, does anybody know the shortest verse in Scripture? See, now, I was expecting everyone to say that, Jesus wept. Did you know there is a shorter word, a shorter verse of Scripture in Greek than Jesus wept? You know, Jesus wept is two words, 16 letters, but there's actually a verse of Scripture that's two words, 14 letters. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and says these words, Rejoice always. Amen? Rejoice always. God has a very special blessing in store for us. He wants to encourage our hearts. He wants to inspire our hearts. He wants to bless us. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a story before we pray. It's a true story. They even made a movie about it. There was a book written about it. The name of the book is called Adrift. And it's the story of a man by the name of Steve Callahan who was sailing, I believe it was the Pacific Ocean. And when he was sailing in the ocean... His boat hit something very large. Researchers now believe that he probably hit a whale or a whale hit him. And his boat was damaged and it began to sink. He jumped into an emergency inflatable life raft where he was aboard this raft, get this, for 76 days, utterly alone, abandoned by the world. People thought he had died. And this man was surrounded by this boundless ocean. Can you imagine what that's like, right? Especially if there are storms, especially when there are sharks that are circling your inflatable raft, right? I mean, this man was trapped alone. What was really interesting is this. This isn't your just classic story of a, hey, this guy was lost out at sea and he survived and the rescuers came and they found him. Here's what happened. When he was out there alone, you can just imagine the isolation. You can imagine the anxiety. You're not sure if you're going to see anybody. Uh, people don't know if they're ever going to see you again. You can just imagine. Your, it seems like your hopes are cut off. It seems your dreams are, are finished. It seems the future is no more. The way he actually began to cope with what was going on, he actually began to split his personality. He split his persona, get this, into a captain persona, And then he split other parts of his persona into various parts of a ship. One was a sailor. So he actually developed a community in order to cope with being adrift and utterly alone at sea. In fact, one of the most amazing things of this story is this. That the sailor persona of him actually wanted to eat all the rations in one day. He records in his diary that the captain persona began to threaten the sailor and charge him with mutiny and was threatening to throw him overboard. Can you imagine when rescuers show up, they, wouldn't, they might not have found anybody aboard that uh, inflatable life raft, right? There might have been a piece of paper. A mutiny almost happened. Thankfully, it was stopped, right? But can you imagine that? I mean, it's really crazy that he just began to try to cope with what was going on by, uh, by splitting his personality. And when the rescuers found him, They found this grisly, old-looking, weathered, skinny man who was just uh, starving and hungry and dehydrated, and thankfully he survived, and they even made a movie about it. They wrote a book, Adrift, Lost 76 Days at Sea. Today we're going to be taking a good look at another story in the Bible about a, a ship 
that went through a storm and was broken up as well. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer and let's ask the Holy Spirit to bless us as we open up the word of God this morning. And Father, we just thank you so much again for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful Sabbath and the promised blessings of the Sabbath. And Lord, by faith, we want to claim them because we ask in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. May every person here receive a customized message from heaven for from you, Lord. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 27. The book of Acts chapter 27. By the way, I want to just again thank Zach and the Templeton leadership for inviting me. Really appreciate that. Um, I want you guys to know it, it's a great thing to have an amazing pastor that knows how to lead a church. Amen? But having a pastor that walks with God, oh man, you can't ask for anything better than that. So I, I want you guys to know you guys are really blessed to have Zach and his wife here. You know, just a, a few months ago, I contacted Zach and I said, hey, Zach, can you talk to my brother about something? And so Zach made time, made time, him and his wife, an hour of their time, and they sat down on Zoom, talked to my brother and his wife, and uh, they prayed with him, and I'm just thankful for that time. By the way, my brother's wife is now four months pregnant, so thank you again for praying for them. So, amen. And there's more to that story. So, we're in the book of Acts, chapter 27. The book of Acts, chapter 27. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a good look at the context. We're going to start with verse 9. Okay, so here's the context. Paul had been preaching like crazy. He'd been traveling all over the world, Asia Minor. He's preaching the gospel in this place, in this place, in this place, in this place. He has this burden. He wants to return back to Jerusalem. He wants to preach the gospel to his brethren, his family, his relatives, the priesthood. He wants to bring the gospel to them. But people discover this is the very same Paul who the Spirit of God used to turn the world upside down. So he's immediately arrested, he's accosted by a mob, and Paul, in a desperate move, appeals to Caesar. And through a various events and a series of circumstances, Paul is chained to a Roman centurion who begins to go through various travels, various ports, various journeys, and he's bringing Paul to Rome to testify before Caesar. In Acts chapter 27, we're going to be honing in on one of the particular phases of this journey, a ship journey that took place with the centurion and Paul. By the way, do you know Paul was shipwrecked three times, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians. But the book of Acts records probably the most um, intense of these ship journeys that took place. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 27, and we're going to start with verse 9. Notice what the Bible says right here. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over. By the way, the word fast right there is essentially the word day of atonement. So the day of atonement took place in the fall. So this was after the day of atonement. It was late fall. It was not the time to be sailing a boat in that area. Notice what happens next. The fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. 
And when the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest and the northwest, and winter there. So notice the situation. Paul, as a man who was educated, a man who was cultured, a man who had traveled the world, who understood what uh, traveling and transportation is all about. He picks up on the situation, he picks up on the circumstance, and he tells the men, he says, by the way, I know I'm a prisoner here, and you're probably not going to take my advice, but I want you to understand something. It's probably not the best time for us to sail this ship. Now, the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship says, who's this man? Of course we're going to go sailing. We've got to meet our deadlines. We've got to take this wheat to Rome. We're going to, keep, we're going to, we're going to go on. We're going to sail this ship no matter what. And notice what happens next in this story. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing they obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Seemed like a good start. Everything seemed to be fine. It seemed that things were playing in their favor. Paul was wrong. But notice what happens next. But not long after, a tempestuous head wind arose called Eucliodon. And when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used the cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. By the way, when you're sailing out in sea back then and you cannot see the sun during the day and you can't see the stars at night, why is that a big problem? Yeah, because you've got no navigation. You don't know where you're going. And now it's left up to the wind to take you wherever it wants to go. And by the way, you know what's really incredible about this passage? Even Paul recognizes it looks like we're not going to make it. By the way, I don't know if you know something about Paul the Apostle. He's very courageous. He's a man that stood up to mobs. He's a man that was stoned multiple times. He was a man that was hunted and persecuted. He was a man courageous. But when Paul tells you it looks like we're going to die, you ought to listen. The Bible says they had given up all hope. He uses the word we, which included him. This looked like the end of Paul's life. But you see, when you're reading this passage of Scripture, you begin to understand something here. And what's that? What Paul was going through was something called a trial. Now, we all know what trials are, right? But let's kind of delineate a trial from, from inconveniences. You know, there are inconveniences. What's an inconvenience? An inconvenience is when there's traffic on the way to church. That's an inconvenience. When they run out of organic tofu or organic strawberries at Lake Toad, what is it, Trader Joe's, that's an inconvenience. But a trial is when the doctor calls you to give you bad news. A trial is when you get a call from a relative and you find out some member of your family died. A trial is with the person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with or you were hoping to spend the life, rest of your life with. You find out that they want a divorce and they want to break up with you. Trials are unpredictable, 
by their very nature. Trials are something you usually are not prepared for or you usually can't handle. If you can handle it, most likely it's not a trial, it's just a challenge. Jesus himself said, look, in this world you're going to have tribulation. And essentially what he was pointing to when you study out the book of Matthew 24, that as we get closer and closer and closer to the end, that trials would increase, tribulations would increase, it would become, the world would become stranger and stranger, the news would become more bizarre and bizarre, the tragedies would increase more and more. You know, I was kind of poking fun at people who were so excited that 2020 was ending. And what I meant by that is they were so excited, they're like, oh, finally, the year of trials is over. December 31st, 11.59 p.m. Finally, we're not going to suffer anymore. You know what I mean? Like, we live in a crazy world, a world of sin, a world that has fallen, a world that, world that is broken. And so as we get older, we become even more exposed to these trials. And as we get closer to the end, we become more exposed to these trials. And so here you have a situation where Paul is now brought face to face with this trial. And even Paul realizes, wait a minute, this is beyond anything I've ever dealt with before. But notice what happens next. Verse 21. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. By the way, that's the worst thing you could say to somebody, right? <laughs> I told you last week, you know what I mean? Like so, but we can, we, can, we can excuse Paul, right? I mean, it looks like they're probably going to die here, right? Notice what happens. Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you and all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must have run aground on a certain island. Now notice what happens next, and I want you to pick up on the pattern here. Okay? Now when the 14th night had come, and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little bit further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. In other words, they were measuring the distance from the sea top to the bottom, and they were understanding that as the, the, the distance becomes smaller, they're getting closer and closer to the coast. Notice what happens. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. We need all hands on deck here. You need to stop what's about to take place. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall down. Now, this is really incredible. You want to know why it's really incredible? Because in the very beginning of this experience, Paul was a man who was chained. He was a prisoner. He came onto this boat. And, and anybody who saw Paul chained to this Roman centurion would think to himself, his future does not look good. He entered into this boat chained. And when he gave advice, no one listened to him. And when the situation happened that happened, and the tribulation came, the trial came, 
Paul begins to give hope and encouragement. But then notice what happens next. Now Paul is leading the men. He's giving out commands. In fact, when you continue to read on, you find out now Paul is shepherding the group. I love what the book Acts of the Apostles says. It says this, Paul entered into the ship as a prisoner, but he was really, get this, she says, master of the ship. Master of the ship. You know, it's so interesting. There's something about trials that God can repurpose and reuse to exalt his people. There's something about challenges and situations in life that God can turn around and reverse for the good of his people, to benefit his people, to bless his people. And a situation like this where Paul, the missionary, who seemed to be destined to come before Paul and be before Rome, excuse me, before Nero, and be executed. You have Paul surrounded by the grace of heaven, and he is the one who is in charge. Notice what happens at this pivotal point here, and this is going to be the focus of our message. Verse 33. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them, to take food. Saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment. Now, notice what it says right here. For this is your survival. This is how you're going to survive this storm here. Then notice what happens. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged. And they also took food with themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. By the way, Alexander was known for being an area where they would produce large amounts of wheat and transport it to Rome. This ship's purpose was to take wheat to Rome. But what happens here is that in this moment of discouragement and when it seems like they are about to perish, Paul gathers them together and he says, look, it is time for you to eat. You have not been taking care of yourselves physically during this trial, during this storm, and it's time for you to eat. And right before they eat, he says, wait a second, we're going to offer a prayer. And he begins to pray before these pagans. And they were encouraged by his prayer. And you know what happens in the rest of the story? They begin to take the ship. They hit ground. They jump out of the ship as the waves are starting to break up the ship. They jump onto boards. And they begin to make their way, paddle their way to the coast where the next chapter of Paul's journeys, journeys takes place. You know, as you're studying out this story, you begin to understand something, some powerful lessons here about how to survive trials and challenges and tribulations of life. You begin to understand what Paul utilized in his experience, what he received from God, lessons that can really benefit us and bless us, especially as we are in strange times and we're going into stranger times. Lesson number one. A few weeks ago, I came across this powerful quote found in the book Ministry of Healing, and this is what it says right here. This one's going to knock your socks off. What's that? Here it is.
Number one, surviving trials. It is the law of nature. In other words, here's a universal law. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Hindu, if you're a human being, this law applies to you. Okay, what is it? It is the law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged in strength, get this, as we give them utterance. While words express thoughts, it's also true that thoughts follow words. Normally we think to ourselves, well, the linear progression is this, that when I'm thinking about something, it comes out of my mouth. But what it, we are being told here, it is, a, it is a law of nature. In other words, this is reality. That what comes out of our mouth comes back and affects our heart. Oftentimes when we're in trials, when we're going through dark times, when we're going through depressing times, and by the way, the word for tribulation, it's, it's this Greek word that has to do with this idea of crushing. We feel this emotional crushing, don't we? And it's during those moments that we begin to speak out words of doubt. Words of discouragement. And we begin to exclaim negative things. By the way, I was looking at some research in preparation for this sermon. Did you know that the average human being thinks anywhere from 6,000 to 20,000 thoughts a day? I'm guessing that it's probably females more along the 20,000 thoughts per day. And that men are somewhere between the 6,000 and maybe one thought per day, right? No offense. But did you know that these same researchers said that it's probably true that based upon the number of thoughts that are thought per day, that anywhere from 60 to 80% of those thoughts, get this, are negative or unhealthy thoughts. We have a sinful nature, don't we? But what comes out of our mouth comes back and affects our own heart. Think about people in Scripture who spoke words of encouragement, not just for other people, but for their own heart. Do you know when you read the story of David in the Psalms, you know what David says all the time? You can read it multiple times. He'll say something like this. He'll say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Who's he talking to? He'll say multiple times, he'll say, say to my soul. And what you're getting this idea of is that David has this form of self-talk where he's encouraging himself. It's really important, and we're told this in the book Ministry of Healing. It's, like, it's really important that we encourage even our own selves. When we wake up, when we go through dark times, when we go through negative experiences, when we're wrestling, that we exclaim words of faith, and we say, Lord, you are my God, and you're going to get me through this trial. Amen? God is still my Savior, and He is going to wash away my sins, and He's going to give me victory here. I know my Redeemer lives, and He's going to lead me out of this trial. My God shall supply all my needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. We need to pay attention to what we're saying. We need to pay attention to what we're saying. Because more times, more often, we're actually speaking out negative things that have an effect upon our own heart and our own mind. Here's the second thing. Paul, when he was going through this trial with these men, he picked up on this idea. The men were malnourished. They weren't eating properly. Their physical state was shutting down. And he realized the only way that these men are going to weather the storm, to get through this storm, to get through this trial, through this challenge, is they've got to take care of their bodies. They've got to take care of their bodies. And I'm going to explain this probably in the most simplest way I can, is that lots of times there are stress and their anxiety right here. And what physical exertion does is it begins to just 
transmit or transport a lot of that stress and anxiety, and it begins to just spread it out throughout the body. The body is the most important way that the mind can be affected. What affects the body affects the mind. Physical exertion is super important. What happens when you begin to exercise? The hormones that cause stress begin to be mitigated, and your body begins to release endorphins. These are, uh, are, are hormones that make you feel good and make you feel better and help you persevere during hard times. Exercise is super important. Taking care of your health is super important. I was looking at a study by Duke University, and this researcher, what he wanted to do, he wanted to understand the effect of exercise versus psychotherapy. And there's nothing wrong with therapy, amen? If you need therapy, get therapy by all means. But he wanted to test the effect of exercise versus therapy. And what he did is he had this experiment where he had two groups, and the criteria to be in the group is you were depressed. You were clinically depressed. The first group, for four months, they were to get therapy, The second group, they were to exercise on a regular basis, every day, minimum 30 minutes per day. And then they were measured, they were tested exactly one year later, and what he found is that the group that had just therapy alone, that there was a lot of relapses into depression again. But what he found with the group that had just exercised, was doing exercise, is that they began to score higher on their depression recovery And many of them avoided relapsing into depression. Exercise became a channel for them to to take that stressful energy and, and disperse it throughout the body and through exercise. Taking care of your health is vitally important. Amen. I you know, I was looking at this study, by the way, I was when I was finishing my public health degree, I had to look at this study on people in isolation, and there's this well-known experiment, you might be familiar with it's called the Mars 500 experiment. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to test out five men and how they would survive in a completely isolated environment. It was to simulate their journey to Mars. 500 days. That's an entire year plus of their life that they were next to four other individuals. You know what they found out in this experiment? Two of the men became very belligerent and wanted to get out. Another man had this mental breakdown, but two did extremely well. And you know what they found out when they began to understand and study out the two that did very well? They had a particular pattern to their life. They had a routine where they got up around the same time. They went to sleep around the same time. They had exercise on a regular basis. They ate their meals on a regular basis. That these men had routine in their life. Even during this very, you can just imagine the isolation, maybe missing your wife, maybe missing your kids, maybe missing life altogether, right? How did they get through this? And it was because of regular routine taking care of their physical health. Pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your body. Take care of your body. Invest in your body. It will help you to cope and help you to survive Paul understood this, and he was able to encourage the men to do so. Point number three. And I think this is important. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see something here. You know, I went through a rough patch not too long ago. And when I was going through this rough time, I came across this beautiful passage of Scripture. And then I saw this passage of Scripture actualize in my very experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. He's a man acquainted with suffering, a man acquainted with trials. But notice what he says right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Actually, verse 3. Let's go to verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And what he does next in this next part of the scripture, he uses the word comfort, get this, 10 times. He really likes the word comfort. Why? Because he knew what it was in experience. Let's read the rest. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And he brings out this powerful point. He's like, look, as God has comforted you, go comfort others. As God has brought consolation to your heart and he is healing you, bring that healing to other people. You know, I had this experience that happened to me. I was, uh, it was a summer of uh, knocking on doors and selling books. And I did that in the year 2003. My dad actually passed away in the year 2001. I had just become Adventist in the year 2000. My dad passes away, and about a couple years later, I was doing ministry. And one of the ministries I did was canvassing, call porting, selling books, whatever you want to call it, during the summer. And, you know, if you've ever been down to Bakersfield, people in Bakersfield have, like, two kinds of pets there. They have chihuahuas and they have pit bulls. And, uh, you know, I grew up, actually, my neighbor had a Rottweiler, and I, have, I love big dogs, but I got bit by a Rottweiler before, so I'm always, like, cautious if someone's got a Rottweiler. You know, obviously it's more of the owner's fault, but, like, you know, like, it's, it's just, I'm more cautious of that. And one of the things I was doing when I was walking in Bakersfield selling books, if there was a beware of dog sign... I just avoided it. I, I just avoided it. And I remember one day I was walking through Bakersfield, and, you know, people got angry chihuahuas. Sometimes the angry chihuahuas are more dangerous than the pit bulls, to be honest. And uh, I was walking by, and I, I remember that very morning. I was paying attention. If they had a beware of dog sign on their fence, I avoided it. Went to one, no beware of dog sign, opened the gate, went to the house. And I was paying attention very carefully. I remember that day. And I remember I came across this house, And there was a gate, and I looked, I stopped, and I looked, I scanned the front, no beware of dog sign, put my hand on the front gate, opened the gate, walked in, went to the door, and there was a metal screen door. Have you ever tried to talk to someone through a metal screen door? Yeah, imagine, it's like you're like looking around, you don't know if the person's seeing you or hearing you. And so I I knocked on the door and said, hi, my name's Anel, I'm a student working on blah, 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 scholarship fund. And, And the guy says, he says this. Amen, it's not the right time. And I go, oh yeah? And he's like, yeah, it's not the right time. I go, why is it not the right time? You know what he says to me? He's like, my dad just died, it's not the right time. And I said, maybe it is the right time. And there's silence, you know, you're just like wondering what's going to happen next, right? And he's like, come on in. And I open the door, (laughs) And I walked in, and there was this young adult guy, maybe in his mid to late 20s. He was resting his child. He was just laying out on this, like, couch. His child had fallen asleep. And there was a chair, and I sat down next to the chair. I go, what's going on, man? He said, my dad just died this week. It's been really hard. And I say, he's like, who are you? And I go, well, you know, I was going to give the, I'm a student working on a scholarship. I'm like, this is probably not the time for me to sell books right now. But I just began to share with him, 
little bit about the gospel, and then I began to share with him when my dad passed away and how God brought comfort to my heart. And we talked. And at the end, you know what he says to me? He says this. He's like, I think you're from God. I go, oh, yeah? I go, why do you say that? He's like, because I have an angry pit bull in the front yard. How did you get to my door? And he was like, he, he, you know, like, you know when people say, oh, my dog doesn't bite, and then it bites people? This guy was like, no, my dog bites. And he's like, how did you make it through? I go, what do you mean? He's like, people can't get past the front gate to my house because of the dog. And you know what? To, sh- to prove this, he called out his older son, and he said, hey, go walk him out. And I walk out, and his older son's in front of me, and I'm like, okay, where is this dog? You know what I mean? And he, he had his son escort me out because of this pit bull in the front yard. Walks me out to the gate, and right there, in big, bold letters on a sign, beware of dog. <laughs> and I believe that day God was <laughs> hiding me from <laughs> my fear of dogs that bite. Because there was somebody who needed some comfort. And just so you know, just to show you how big of a deal this is on God's own heart, you know when Jesus resurrected, the very first priority he had after his resurrection wasn't to go start the early church. It wasn't to go empower the disciples. The very first priority wasn't to go to heaven and receive all the angels worship. It wasn't even to go before the Father and verify the the sacrifice. Do you know the very first priority Jesus had when he resurrected? He stopped and comforted Mary's broken heart. He essentially, get this, almost stalled the plan of redemption because there was a broken heart that needed some comfort that day. And it shows us the value that God places upon hearts that are broken, hearts that are crushed, that are, are overwhelmed by trial, people whose very hope is completely being blotted out. There are people like that all around us, not just in this church. I'm sure there are many in this church, but it would surprise us how the cries of the human heart reach the heart of God and how overwhelming it must be to his own heart. God wants you to take the comfort and healing he is bringing and has brought upon you and to share it. And as you do, your healing even accelerates. Last point I want to make, and we're done. Paul got through this trial because he decided this was the time to give thanks and praise to God. And oftentimes, praise and thanksgiving to God is most beautiful, get this, when it's the hardest to do. When it's the hardest to do. And when the outlook wasn't very great for Paul and his, uh, his, his friends and the sailors, he says, we're going to eat and we're going to give God thanks right now. I heard an old preacher say this many years ago. He said these powerful words, and I never forgot it. He says, when you enter into God's presence with praise, he enters into your circumstance with power. 
Let me say this one more time. When you enter into God's presence with praise, he enters into your circumstances with power, and he did it for Paul, and he'll do it for us. You know, one morning I, I, I went to church, and I remember the, the pastor says during the sermon, this is right after I be, was starting to go to church and becoming a Christian, he says, all right, everyone, today we're going to be studying out the love chapter in the Bible. And I'm like, oh yeah, the love chapter in the Bible. I had a King James Version. Do you know what the love chapter, 1 Corinthians, says? What word it uses for the word love? It uses the word charity. It doesn't use the word love. So I was thumbing through the Bible. I'm like, I don't know where the word love is. What word is this in the scriptures? And you know what I found? I began to take the back of the book and I looked up the word love. And when I looked at the word love and I found the word love most, most utilized in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And when I was looking at the epistles of John, I'm like, man, this guy talks about love. This must be the love chapter. I didn't know what verse of scripture the pastor was talking about, but I'm like, this must be the love passage he's talking about here. And I realized something as I was studying out 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John is this. Anytime that John mentions the word God, you know what he has in the same sentence? He has the word love. Anytime he mentions the word love, he has the word God. For John, he could not speak about God without speaking about love. For John, it was uh, God and love were inexorably bound. He says, look, if you're going to be talking about God's existence, you need to be talking about his primary attribute because to not do so would diminish who he is. And that's why he could say emphatically, God is love. Why am I bringing this up? Because this same God was the God that Paul trusted. A God whose name is love. Who loved Paul before Paul even loved him. He was a God whose love watched over Paul and will fulfill the purpose that he had for Paul. And many times we seek for purposes for our pain, but what's even more powerful than understanding why things happen is to understand God can repurpose your pain. He can make those bitter waters sweet again. And he can use it for his glory. This is his promise. Why? Because he is love. God wants us to submit and surrender and put our lives in the hands of one who can be trusted. And when we give thanks and we give praise, what we're doing by faith is we are, we are, we are believing and accepting that very notion. He is trustworthy. I want to end sharing a simple thought. You know, it's interesting when you study out Noah's Ark. And, uh, you know, you look at Noah's Ark, right? It's an amazing boat. Um, God gave, the, the, he gave the, the dimensions of this ark. God says, look, this is how big it's going to be. This is how high it's going to be. Here's the wood I want you to use. Go for wood, whatever that was. And then he says, I want you to to seal the wood together with pitch. God even filled the boat. Now, if you were to take that boat and you were to bring it to a modern-day boat builder, you know what he would say? This is the worst boat in the world. Why? There's no motor. There's no sails. There's no place for the oars. This boat will not survive storms. But it was the only boat did. You want to know why? Because it was in the hands. Of God Almighty. 
Paul's life was in the hands of all God Almighty. Whether he was going through storms of life, whether he was on top of the mountain or at the bottom of the valley, his hand, life was in the hands of the one whose name is love. Friends, wherever you are at today and however you are, whatever you're going through, whatever burdens you're carrying, whatever you can't even share with your friends or your church or anyone else, I want you to know God hears the cries of your heart and he knows the burdens on your soul. And he wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you and he wants to bring healing to your life so that you may become a blessing to other people. But it starts by saying, Lord, I'm just putting my life right now in your hands again because you are love and you are trustworthy. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, as we just take a moment of, again, quiet communion with you, Lord, open our heart to receive the love that comes from heaven. Father, we give thanks. We give thanks for the good things and the not-so-good things in our lives. God, we give you praise for being so loving to us, so, so caring, so mindful of the burdens of our own heart. And Lord, we give you thanks because you are God who is trustworthy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his righteousness. Thank you for his strength in times of our weakness. Thank you. His grace is sufficient for us. Lord, may the joy of the Lord be our strength as we leave this place. And uh, God, may we give praise and honor and glory to you the rest of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, church family.